thank you. It's, uh, it's always funny because Michael Wall has the jump on everything, and, and he texted me first and said, hey, you might want to get ready. Um, and at that point, I hadn't even been able to check my email, and so he, he, uh, he broke the news to me, but, but Pastor, we're glad you're, you're out and feeling better and, and getting better, and we're continuing to pray for you. Um, one of the things that comes up, uh, I... I work outside the church, um, and one of the things that I find, especially as I interact with um, adults who kind of look on at the church, uh, maybe have interacted with it less or, or did as youth and then have, have done so less later on in life, um, one of the things that I find is I, I'm always interested in the questions that people ask. and. And what, what's more interesting to me is where they get the notions, um, the things that they ask about. And, and what, what's fascinating is there is a presentation of Christianity today uh, that is, I would say, very popular um, in that it's pretty widespread and it, it spreads easily, uh, particularly online. Um, and... And not all these questions that I get asked are like life or death. Um, a lot of them are gray area things, but some of them are, are notions about who Jesus is and what the church is and, and uh, why we need salvation. And sometimes the answer to those that, that they have heard is baffling. Um, and people hear all sorts of things from all sorts of places. And in many aspects, there, there have been institutions and churches and, and leaders who have kind of turned the answer to those questions into a, a, a marketable package. Uh, and we, we truly have an epidemic uh, on our hands today. Um, if, you, if you just go type in sermon about, you will find all sorts of, of very good sermons uh, on that topic, and you will find some that are uh, loosely related to it. And, and that's kind of the nature of this thing that we have, the internet. And we have access to them, and people can go find them, and they can find something that tells them what they are looking for. And, and what's interesting is, though they didn't have the internet in Jesus' day, and I think they were probably better off for it and sometimes, um, it would seem that Jesus had some of these concerns already kind of percolating in his time. He, he had concerns about what was being taught. And so this morning, we're going to be returning to the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, so if you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, and we're going to be starting in verse 15 this morning. Uh, and, and as you do so, I'm going to, I'm going to briefly give some context. I'm not going to go over the whole thing because we are almost at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is in his closing. But he has detailed what life in the kingdom is like. He's given practical ways to live out that kingdom life. And in the context of the message itself, our passage today comes again at the close of his sermon. He is wrapping it up. And so the things that Jesus says at the close are the things that he wants to leave people with. 
When you, when you write a letter or when you give a message, it's kind of the first thing and the last thing are the things that stick with people the most. It's a reminder to those that he, that he is speaking to those who have begun to follow him. Um, as he healed and fed people, he gained a following. And a lot of these people are, are return people who have like, we're going to follow Jesus in one capacity or another. They're still a ragtag group. Um, a lot of them are outcasts. But nonetheless, they have decided to show up when Jesus shows up. And they are categorizing themselves as his followers. The sermon, again, was originally given in one shot. And so, for our purposes today, Jesus has just finished talking about the narrow gate. And he warned his followers of the importance of, of a life that is categorized and looks like we want to enter by the narrow gate, we want to go by the narrow path, because to fail to do so and to say, you know what, any way we want to live will do, and you can enter by the broad way, Jesus says it leads to death. And so he warns his followers here, choose a life that, yes, it may come with some difficulty. You may feel pushback. But at the end of the day, you will approach that narrow gate and you will find yourself able to enter in. And often, it is difficult to do that. Um, and that's why he says, few actually enter by it. And so this sets the stage for what Jesus says next in his sermon. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. The healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for warnings that we receive in Scripture. I pray that when we, when we come to these passages of Scripture that are uh, kind of challenging and, and really kind of make us do some work, I pray that um, we would be committed to doing it. Help us to be mindful of how you guide us. Help us to be mindful of your Spirit this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. My grandfather um, once told me, and I'm pretty sure he told all my cousins at the same time because that was kind of his method of delivery. He was efficient, if anything. Um, he said, you can't put lipstick on a pig. Um, 
And while he was talking to us about the context of something completely different, um, Jesus, as he moves into the warning section of his sermon here, he says, members of the kingdom, beware the false prophets. False prophets. To the Jewish people, many of those who are seated before Jesus on this hillside, they would have been kind of familiar with this idea of a false prophet. They had the test of a prophet in the Old Testament, which is essentially, if a person says that something's from God and it does not prove to be true, you should treat them as if it is not from God. The words of the prophet Jeremiah, um, many of them would have been familiar with this. Yeah. Uh, Jeremiah says, in, in Jeremiah 23, it says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, do not listen to the words of the prophets who prophesy to you, filling you with vain hopes. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. They say continually to those who despise the word of the Lord, it shall be well with you. And to everyone who stubbornly follows his own heart, they say, no disaster shall come on you. False prophets. Note what Jeremiah tells us these do. They will fill you with vain hope, or quite literally, hope that is destined to fail you. They tell you, 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 can, you can bank on this. This is not going to let you down. You can put your security here, and they don't have the ability to say that because it's not true. Those things will fail. They speak their own ideas as if they are God's word. They tell those who despise God's word, you know what? It's going to be fine. You don't actually have to care about this. You're okay. And they tell those that want to do as they please, there's no need to worry. It's all going to work out in the end. You'll be okay. And, and I want to note something. At first glance, some of that sounds like kind of welcoming and, and, and it kind of gets twisted nowadays to say, come on in, join us. It'll be okay. It, it, you'll be fine. Don't worry. But the problem is, is, is those things are lies. Oh, it went too far. See, this is, they're lies. Am I being punked? Um, all of those things are, are lies. And if you tell someone that they can put their hope in something, knowing full well that it is not from God and it will let them down, that's a lie. We ought to call it for what it is. If you speak your ideas and say, these ideas are God's, that's a lie if they do not prove to be consistent with what God says, it's a lie. If you tell folks who, who look at God's word and say, I don't need that, I don't really care about that, and you say, you're right, you're, you'll be okay, or they do whatever they want, you say, you know what, it's okay, just, it'll all work out. That's not true. False prophets tell lies, and they tell them as if they are God's word. And Jesus says, look out for them. 
we might think to ourselves, well, if that's the case, I mean, how, how does anyone believe this? Like, how do people hear this and go, mm, I'm going to dive headfirst into this idea? How do people get there? And Jesus, I mean, if they're peddling falsehood, how do they get people to follow them? How do they gather big groups? How do they have lots of tithes? We would think this looks like success. But Jesus says it works because they look like sheep. They've dressed themselves up. These lookalikes jump into the midst of the flock of God and they put on an act. They baa like sheep. They say things that Christians say. They look like sheep. They do things that we expect Christians to do. All their friends are Christians. Heck, maybe they themselves are. We're going to get to that at the end here. But Jesus says, don't be fooled. Because on the inside, underneath the sheep's clothing, underneath the cover-up, outside the walls of the church, perhaps, they're ravenous wolves. False prophets. In our day, I would... I would I think a lot of times it gets worded as false teachers. I may go so far to say bad shepherds destroy the sheep. They're ravenous. Their plan is to consume the sheep and move on. And the worst part is they often slide on another sheep's cloak and do it all over again. They destroy the flock. And they are a problem for kingdom people. And Jesus says, beware of them. And as we're going to see, Jesus' command here is an active verb. It is not passive. We do not sit back and say, oh man, I bet I will recognize the danger when it's, it's active. We have to do this. Beware. We don't passively flow through our Christian lives without discerning these things. Jesus calls us to do so. And so kingdom people should be discerning of the teaching they hear. Test it. This context has similarity to Jeremiah 23. Um, I'm going to read the, what Jesus said about the narrow gate one more time and, and just think about the people in Jeremiah and, and those false prophets and what they say. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy. That leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Much like the false prophets in, that Jeremiah warned of, false prophets in Jesus' time are categorized like this. They are those who in the name of Jesus, even, would say, Jesus saves you to a life of health and wealth and prosperity and success. And here's the thing. Everybody wants those things. Those aren't bad. 
They say if you, it's okay if you don't believe in Jesus. Because Jesus is just one of many roads up the same mountain where you will meet God anyway. In reference to sin, they say God is okay with that. Don't worry about it. It will all work out in the end. God will deal with it later. In short, it's those who say you can enter by the wide gate. It's okay. Take the easy path. Everything's going to be fine. You don't need to worry because God is good and God loves you. And here's the trick. There's some truth in there. Most good lies have got some truth to them. But Jesus says that this message and this path, it leads to death. It does not fulfill. It lets you down and it destroys you. Those who say that this way, this path, this easy path, this wide way and this wide gate are just fine, they are false prophets. They are wolves dressed up as sheep. And our king says, beware of them. And sometimes they look like they're doing immense good. They look like they're doing great. <laughs> they seem helpful. Their, their message sounds positive and inclusive and embracing. But if the message does not line up with the truth of the king of the kingdom, it's a lie. Sometimes these look so much like the real thing. Sometimes these false prophets look and sound like someone who is really speaking a message from God. They, they might even do so in the name of Jesus themselves. But followers are given instruction about how you can tell a false teacher from a teacher who's truly walking in the truth. Verse 16, he says, You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Healthy trees bear good fruit, but diseased trees bear bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit, because every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, and you will recognize them by their fruits. We uh, regularly buy our kids those little, like, cutie oranges, um, and I feel like every parent of little kids, it's just like continually stocked in your fridge. Um, they're a staple. Mostly because you can kind of sling them at kids and they can deal with it themselves. It's a, anyway. Um, but every now and then, you, you get a bag of these and you open it up and you pull one out and you just get this rough looking orange. I mean, it's in bad shape. It's kind of gray and bruised and you feel it and it feels like somebody has turned it to orange juice inside the peel. And yet, you're just like, no, this one's not happening. I can tell by looking at it, this is not going to happen. And these are frustrating. Um, mostly because you paid for it, and now it's like, well, this one's probably a dud. But they are not the most frustrating oranges in the, in the bag. Uh, the most frustrating are the ones you pull out, and they look perfect. They're perfectly orange. They're kind of firm, but not too firm. They look great. 
and you peel them, you do all that work, and you get that first plug, and it's bitter and tart or flavorless, and it's awful. That is the frustrating orange. Because it looks so good. Sometimes we can tell bad fruit just by looking at it. We can look at it and say, you know what? That is not going to lead anywhere good. But other times, we really have to put the fruit to the test. We don't know until we, we test it. Jesus says the way we discern the teacher from the false prophet is we observe their fruit. What are their lives categorized by? How do they live and conduct themselves when they're outside the office, on the street, in their homes? What does their fruit look like? You do not gather grapes and figs from thorns and thistles. If it looks pokey and put-offish, it might, might be time to ask. <laughs> Sometimes a surface look at the fruit will tell you it's bad and it's rotten and starting to get soft. And, and these are those whose outward lives, they're, they're already contrary to the Word of God. You don't have to look very far. You can see and go, this isn't right. A change needs to be made here. You can see it outwardly. But as we noted, there are some, you've got you to test a little more. They are wolves in sheep's clothing. They've put the cloak on. You have to test their fruit. And now Jesus transitions to answering kind of a, a question of, well, how do we get this good-looking bad fruit? How do we get there? And, and better yet, how do we keep getting this? And he brings up this idea of these two trees. He says, healthy trees don't bear bad fruit. And so healthy trees are these teachers who are rooted and grounded in Jesus and the things of the kingdom, and they know what God desires and in turn desire to do it, and as a result, their fruit is good. Their lives are categorized by the kingdom of God. They, they are so acquainted with their God that it pours out in their life. It looks and proves to be consistent. It is good fruit. But sometimes, you get a sick tree. And it's not going to produce good fruit. And what's interesting is, sometimes these trees, they look good. They have big leafy branches. And they're tall. And then when you get up close, the fruit's a little bit smaller, but it still looks okay. That's how you get this tart and bitter fruit, because there's no nutrients going into the fruit. At the end of the day, they're, they're not as acquainted and not as connected to relationship with their father. And it spills forth in the fruit of their lives. By most measure, we would look at one of those trees and say, that's a good tree. It looks good. But, but when we test the fruit, we find out there's something wrong. False teachers, like bad trees, often present a gospel and a message that sounds really good. Might even feel good. They may have success 
as the culture measures it. But their fruit is lacking. And lacking fruit is bad fruit. And so one of the things that I don't want to do is I don't want to sit around and talk about bad fruit all day. What does good fruit look like? Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruit. Then we need to be looking for what does good fruit look like? And in the context of the sermon, it is living out the things of the kingdom. It is living as salt and light, not responding in anger, not being lustful, being faithful, being wise with our promises, allowing God to have justice, loving our enemies, giving to the needy, being prayerful, storing up our treasures in heaven, dealing well with the worries of the world. We're not judgmental of others, and we take our desires to God. These are examples of good fruits. But in a broader context, you tell a good fruit and, and by when their life and how they live is consistent with the message they preach and those are both consistent with the Word of God. That is good fruit. If you want to know whether a teacher has bad fruit, if you want to know whether they are a false prophet, a leafy tree, or a sheep-covered wolf. Be familiar with God and His Word. Be familiar with God and His Word. We, we study the Bible. It is our, our foundation. <laughs> because in it, God has revealed who He is to us. And so, we don't tell new Christians and tell even ourselves in our daily lives, read the Bible, read the Bible, so we can check a box. That's not why. And, and I'm not going to lie and pretend that that has never been that way for me. I have done it to check the box. But I would, I believe, even if you are at the point where, and I hope you're not, but even if you're at the point where I'm doing this because I feel like I have to, it is better to do it than to not do it. And I also believe that as you continue to push through into that, it, it will become a joy. You will, you will find peace in that. Be familiar with God and His Word. Because if you know what a healthy tree looks like, if you know what good fruit looks like, then you can tell the bad ones when you see them. And and it also takes, it takes some work. Remember, this is an active thing that Jesus is calling us to do. And, and there is a danger. I told you there was an epidemic in church. There is a danger in churches today. And it is called Sunday morning. And that is, you say, I pay attention on Sunday. I put my phone away. You're interacting with God. I made it. I, I even I watched online again later. But here's the, here's the trouble. If you are doing that, and, and you have a false teacher, and that's the only person you're hearing from, it's going to become increasingly more difficult to tell. 
you're never going to know. You're going to be staring at a wolf thinking they're a sheep over and over and over. Know, be familiar with who God is and what His Word says. The Jewish people have a, a portion of Scripture and, and it's a portion of Scripture that they learn at a very, very young age. Um, they have their kids memorize this. Um, and they call it the Shema. And they call it this um, because it, it's here. Shema is to hear. And so they, they recite this to each other. And I've, I've left off verse 4. I want to go and find verse 4. I'm sorry, I left verse 4 off on the slide behind me. So I want to get that, because that gives us the here. But it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Know your God. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they will be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Put them everywhere. Every single moment. Know your God and know what His Word says. Make God and His Word a part of every aspect of your life. It takes work. But it's worth it. I'm not saying either here, shelter yourself <laughs> from the woes of the world. but carry God and His Word into all of those woes, all of that falsehood. Take it with you into those as you go by the way. Filter the things you hear through the Word of God. And, and, and I mean all of it. And I'm not saying that as a Wow, all of it, let's get there. I mean it. If you hear something and it is claimed as true, and you, you f especially if you feel wonky about it, f go to the Word. Go to trusted people and say, hey, I, I heard this, can you help me understand if this is real or not? Do that work. It will be worth it. Be familiar with God and His Word. Because Jesus notes, good trees don't produce bad fruit. And to the trees which are not producing good fruit, he says they are cut down and they are thrown into the fire. He is speaking to his followers a warning against false teachers. And he's calling them to discernment. And he tells them these false teachers and their teachings will be dealt with. They will face judgment for this. Jesus says they will be cut down. God is going to deal with them, whether it's in this life or the next. Their teaching will be accounted for. And that false teaching, it will be thrown into the fire. Now, 
Here's the trick. There are people who are teaching a false message who are saved by the same blood of Jesus that we are. But they've lost the thread. And my understanding of what Scripture says about our salvation is God keeps those who are His. And so He will, he will burn up that false teaching. He will deal with it. And yet they will be saved by the grace of God. Now there is another group who are false teachers who are truly wolves. And they do not believe the gospel. And they meet the same fate as their teaching. Because that was their hope. Their lives and deeds and teaching will be judged. At minimum here, Jesus is reminding his followers these false teachers will be dealt with. God will hold them accountable for their teaching their lives and their actions will be judged, literally burned up. If you have a bad tree, it's not worth keeping around because it's taking nutrients from a tree that is producing good fruit. Jesus says, we're going to deal with it. God's going to deal with it. God's role in having ultimate, final judgment and, and that reality relating to our discernment should motivate and drive us toward where Jesus is going in verse 21. And I want to note here, 21 through 23 are some of the most difficult things I think Jesus ever said. They are tough words. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will, will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Again, some of these will have called Jesus Lord. Some will have done immense good in the name of Jesus, given prophecy in Jesus' name, opposed the devil under the banner of Jesus. And we might hear that and say, well, those seem like good fruits. <laughs> that seems like good stuff. And so they are. But Jesus says not everyone who says they are of Jesus are of Jesus. You will know them by their fruit. Test the fruit. We are reminded of the importance of observing that fruit. And in this context, as we've said, knowing good fruit helps you know bad fruit. Good fruit, in this portion, is doing the will of the Father. And that begs a question. Isn't calling Jesus Lord and prophesying in the name of Jesus and casting out demons in the name of Jesus and working these mighty wonders the will of God? Like it, seems, it seems like it is. 
And this is the tension. I think that Jesus wants, he creates tension in, in his followers because that tension makes us discerning. It lights the fire under us to go, you know what, I gotta test this fruit to really know. And I would say yes, those are all good things. Unless doing so is simply sheep's clothing. It's just green leaves. God knows the heart of the false teacher. And God knows countless false teachers have done many things in the name of Jesus, but their fruit was not of the Father. Because at the end of the day, and we, Jesus keys us in this, in on this in the last verse here. God's will is ultimately for people to be changed by saving faith in Jesus and as a result live for him. And Jesus says to those who do not do that, I never knew you. I would wager because they never knew God. I want to know um, something that's magnificent about God um, is God has an ability to take poor teaching and bad fruit and do something good with it. I'm not going to say that there has never been someone who has come to saving faith in Jesus as a result of someone who might be a false teacher. I'm not going to say that hasn't happened because I'm confident it has. Praise God. Because God sorted that out. That's His grace. And it seems when we observe the fruit, some teachers, and and I also want to say, believers in general, (laughs) they want to produce good fruit as a means of, of kind of navigating over the line of Jesus. They say, you know what? I'm going to do these things because I see other Christians doing it and they seem to be happy and they seem to be accepted. And so I'm going to do those things too. And they might even do them and say, I I did it because of Jesus. But if those are a means of them trying to save themselves, it cannot. It will not. And believing it can is a lie. Some do this as a path of least resistance. They say, you know what? I'm just going to go with it. It seems easier. They've been told, if you believe Jesus, he will make you healthy, he will make you wealthy, prosperous, successful. He will take away what ails you in your heart. And while we we look forward to a hope of a day where we live in full reality of that in the coming kingdom, Jesus never promised us that in this life. I wish he had. That's not the gospel. I got so many people 
who say, well, I believed in Jesus. And things got harder. Yeah. He told you it would. He told his followers they would be persecuted because of him. But Jesus also says, blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Members of the kingdom should discern false teachers. It takes work to observe the fruit. Really test it. What is the product of their lives? Even when that fruit seems good, they should be willing to look at it. And I would argue that the measure of of teachers who are in it for real reasons would invite that. Say yes. Come test it. This fruit, call to look at fruit, is a challenge really to all believers. Um, We do well to apply this scrutiny to our own lives too. Look at your fruit. Even if you're not a leader, like this, Jesus is talking about false teachers, but like you can use this on ourselves. Are we living out the kingdom and doing the will of the Father motivated by a changed life in Jesus? Or are we doing it for another reason? Because a changed life in Jesus is the only way to have a healthy tree. That is the only way to truly have good fruit. Y'all been staring at that one long enough. God's will is kingdom people who are so intimately acquainted with God and his word that they can discern false teaching and are themselves living out God's will. And those who do so will never hear the words, depart from me, I never knew you. Those are terrible words. Notice that knowing God, Not any of those seeming fruits are the standard. Knowing God is the standard. And when we prioritize knowing God and seeking God, we are going to find ourselves on that narrow path. And we are going to hear false teaching. It's going to happen. And when we do so, Jesus says, beware. Discern those and keep yourselves on that path of knowing God. When we do so, we are more likely to model and display the good fruit of a changed life in Jesus. But it begins with familiarity with God the Father. Familiarity with King Jesus. Jesus is our standard of good fruit. He is the king. He he sets the standard. He is our measure.